0: Hello, and welcome to the AMP podcast. My name is Toby Holloran, and I lead the markets operators product here at Ampere and serve as news editor for the AMP newsletter, and I'll be your host for today. If you're new to the show, welcome. We hope you'll enjoy the episode. For context, Ampere Analysis is a data and analytics firm specializing in the global entertainment industry. This podcast is all about bringing together expert voices from across the company to discuss the latest trends, research, and insights in the media sector. In this episode, we have three guests who will be sharing their latest work with us, Arena Zhao, Olivia Dean, and Josh Rostage. So let's begin by going around the table and having our guests introduce themselves.
1: Hello everyone, my name's Arena. I track the key performance indicators and financial results of the major paid TV operators, telcos, and asphalt services here at Ampere. My speciality comes from the APAC region. Today I'm excited to share my latest research in Netflix new ad founded tier combined with consumer
2: results. Hi, my name's Olivia. I work tracking commissioning of original television content as well as movies.
3: Hi, I'm Josh. My role mainly focuses on TV and linear broadcasting, but today I'll be talking about demographic skews of content on US streaming platforms. You are listening to The AMP Podcast from Ampere Analysis. To learn more about Ampere's research and services, head to ampereanalysis.com.
0: hot topic lately has been Netflix's move into an ad-supported tier this month, joining many other players and becoming a hybrid service, a model which Hulu pretty much pioneered in the US when it launched a subscription offer back in 2010, and it was able to leverage a sizable user base who had been primarily using the platform for free, ad-supported content. So that said, Netflix had generally been quite against adding advertisements to its platform, and it wasn't until April this year that Reed Hastings first said he'd be open to the idea. With the platform launching recently... So, Arena, why might Netflix have changed its mind about launching an ad-supported tier? And why are they choosing to launch at this point?
1: I believe the reasons are multifold. Uh, The macroeconomics environment has changed and Netflix itself has also grown to a new stage. Firstly, in terms of the general environment, I believe we are all experiencing the impact from the cost of living crisis. Everything has become more expensive and less affordable because of inflation and the impending economic recession. Therefore, consumers might want to focus on their core spendings and reduce their budget on subscription video-on-demand services. And secondly, when we look at the asphalt market itself, the industry has also become much more competitive and crowded as compared to three years ago. Now, all major Hollywood film studios have launched their own asphalt services So Disney Plus, HBO Max, Paramount Plus—they're all competing with Netflix and trying to grow their own subscriber base, often with a cheaper price. Therefore, amid a cost of living crisis and increased options, consumers might become ever more sensitive on prices and be more cautious than ever on which as for service to keep subscribing to. Therefore. Uh, I believe a cheaper price point, although included with that, might keep those consumers who are struggling or considering to cancel their Netflix subscription on board and therefore helps Netflix to reduce churn. Thirdly, Netflix itself is also at a different stage. Uh, Netflix has reached almost 50% of household penetration in the US and UK. As a consequence, Netflix might have about to touch the growth ceiling in many of these established markets. That's, I believe, a cheaper and ad-funded tier is also for finding new subscribers by converting account sharers or people who were kept from a Netflix subscription because of its price hikes into new subscribers.
0: Netflix launched 12 different markets with this ad-supported tier, and it's got slightly different pricing strategies in each. Can you shed us some light on the actual pricing
1: strategies there? As you said, Netflix' new basic with ad tier was given different discount rates as compared to the basic tier in different markets. So in some markets, the new ad funnel tier is given a larger discount, while in other markets is given a a lower discount rate. And I found that the greatest discount rate takes place in South Korea with a 40% discount rate, while Japan was given the lowest discount rate at only 20% among the first batch of top markets.
0: So generally speaking, was there quite a strong correlation between the the volume of the discount and the kind of willingness to see ads in return for a discount?
1: Yes, indeed. I also realized that for most of the markets, the extent of the discount of the new basic with ad tier is related to consumers' price sensitivity. So in markets where consumers express higher willingness to downgrade, Netflix is given generally less degree of discount while in markets where consumers are less tempted to downgrade to the new tier and giving higher discounts.
0: So can you tell us a bit about how you categorize these countries within your research?
1: So combining discount rate and willingness to downgrade, I realized the first batch of 12 markets can be split into four groups. First group markets with greater discount rate and higher willingness to downgrade. Second group markets with lower discount rate but higher willingness to downgrade. Third group markets with higher discount rate but lower willingness, and the fourth group markets with low rates in both discount and willingness. So South Korea is the only market with higher rates in both discounts and consumer preference. This indicates that Netflix new ad is probably going to perform well in South Korea. And Netflix is already the largest as-for service in South Korea uh, with 5.5 million subscriptions. Therefore, I believe Netflix new tier is probably going to help Netflix to achieve even higher growth in South Korea and further expand its lead. And moving on to the second group, markets such as US, UK, Brazil, and Mexico in Latin are offered at a lower than average discount rate for the new ad-funded tier. But consumers in these markets show a higher degree of willingness to accept such an offer. So this shows that consumers in these markets may feel greater pressure uh, from Netflix price hikes, therefore, they are more eager for a cheaper option. Moving on to the third and last group of the markets, so European markets such as France and Germany will be offered of the new tier with a higher than average discount rate. But consumers in those markets have expressed a lower degree of willingness to take up such a tier. This suggests that those consumers are generally more content with Netflix current pricings and are more happy with their economic outlook. Last but not the least, Japan is the only market among the first batch of top markets with both a lower discount rate for the new tier and lower degree of willingness to downgrade. So this suggests that the new tier will probably have a minimal effect in uh, the Japanese market.
0: So I'm I'm actually wondering now if um, Olivia might have seen any changes in Netflix's recent commissioning strategy that might be linked to the launch of the ad-supported tier.
2: Yeah, so I agree with Arena in that there isn't as much pressure for Netflix to offer an ad-funded tier in areas where there's less market penetration. Uh, And they're definitely still showing growth in these regions. But what we can see is a link between the amount of investment Netflix has made in a market and then how much discount they're willing to offer. So if we look at the rate of discount in non-English speaking countries compared with the number of Netflix originals originating from those markets, We can see that the discount is lower in countries where Netflix has commissioned more local originals. So it's clear that they're less inclined to offer a discount in areas where they've made significant investment.
0: And um, Josh, in terms of the demographic skew of content on Netflix, how does that pan out? So Netflix has reportedly said it won't put advertising on content geared at under 13s. Is there much of that on there? And also, from my understanding, the 18 to 24 male group is one of the most important demographics for advertisers. Does Netflix content hit this demographic?
3: Yeah, so Netflix has a decent proportion of children and family content, around twelve percent of their catalog, and content created for children is going to have a young audience. Uh, but the data does back that up as well. But excluding children and family content doesn't affect the overall direction of Netflix's catalog skew, which would remain overall towards younger adults and towards women. But this doesn't mean that its other demographics are lacking content-wise. So the data shows that about. A third of their overall catalogue sits in the younger male skewing section. For context, that's a little bit bigger than the entire US catalogue of Disney+. Plus. So the male 18-24 to 24 group would sit in the younger part of this section. Therefore, Netflix does hit this demographic, despite it not being the largest share of their catalogue. And if we look at some popular titles that fall into this category, there's Spider-Man, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, and some more of the animated stuff is always... Tending to skew towards younger men, such as cyberpunk edge runners, or any popular anime on Netflix, such as One Piece or Attack on Titan.
0: And then, okay, back to Arena. Do you think that the ad supported tier is going to have the desired effect for Netflix moving forward?
1: I think Netflix will achieve different results with this new ad funded tier in different markets. So, in markets such as the US and Brazil, the new ad funded tier will probably receive the best results, helping Netflix to reduce churn and find new subscribers. However, in markets such as Germany, France, or Japan, the new tier will have smaller or minimal effect to Netflix development, partly because it was growing very well and consumers were happy with Netflix pricings. Overall, I think the new ad-funded tier will bring a positive impact on Netflix development in terms of subscription number. However, just as you said just now, Toby, in terms of total revenue or ARPU, average revenue per subscriber, the new tier will bring neutral to positive impact to Netflix because it's essentially using advertising revenue to compensate for the loss of subscription revenue.
0: Thanks, Arena. Next up, we welcome back Olivia. Now, I'm the type of person who actively avoids movie trailers out of fear of spoilers. So hopefully I've not already got you to give some spoilers for your research for my earlier Netflix question. Your research has been looking at some recent commissioning trends with a focus on the big subscription video on demand platforms. So can you tell us a bit more about that?
2: So in commissioning, we don't just track new and returning series. We also track series that have been cancelled or just that they announce that they're no longer making them. Uh, And over the course of 2022, we've seen an increase in the number of cancellations being announced to the point where cancellations are now growing faster than commissions for the first time.
0: What has actually been driving this recent spike in cancellations?
2: I think the easy answer is to say "Oh, cost of living crisis, everybody's under pressure. So, you know, they're axing things left, right and centre. From a more data led perspective, we can see that the increase is being driven by SVOD commissioners. Of all the announcements made by SVOD commissioners between Q3 2020 and Q3 2022, 16% of those announcements were cancellations. And I think that's partially because SVOD providers are under more economic pressure than their linear counterparts at the moment. I think it's much easier to save money by cancelling an s subscription for a, maybe even just a small amount of time than it is to you know, ask for some of your TV license back. And I think that with s platforms facing increased churn, the titles that they do commission need to offer a higher return on investment to secure renewal for more seasons. I also think that streamers are starting to streamline their original content. They're under pressure from increased competition in the market. And so I think that they're Having to focus their spending on the kind of titles that attract and keep new subscribers. And for the first time, cancellations of unscripted titles are growing. And in Q3 2022, the cancellation of unscripted titles from streaming commissioners represented over half of all cancellations announced.
0: Are there any commissioners in particular which we have seen these cancellations
2: coming from? I think we're seeing interesting patterns from HBO Max. They're still a relatively new streaming company. Especially compared with big competitors like Netflix and Amazon, um, and we've already seen them cancel five percent of their originals. So that's quite a big chunk of their of their original catalog. And I think that's partially because this is the first time HBO has had that really granular level of detail in the in the viewer data that they have access to. And I think it's just that they're simply not pulling any punches when it comes to titles and content that's just not performing.
0: The thing is, they're also trying to cut costs somewhat, thanks to the HBO Max Discovery merger, which certainly probably isn't helping how much they're willing to spend on content. Okay, and then, um, so, during the pandemic, possibly on a slightly more positive note, we actually noticed a significant uptick in unscripted commissioning. So, um, what's changed?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think what we need to say is that they're still commissioning a high volume of unscripted titles. I think they're just being a bit more discerning about which unscripted titles get to stay. Because pre-pandemic, we were already seeing this increase interested in unscripted content. We had shows like ITV's Love Island, and I think that really ignited an appetite for reality entertainment. And that was already beginning to be reflected in commissioning before the pandemic. And then the pandemic hit and we saw a massive uptick in unscripted content because it was easier to make during lockdown. Uh, Unscripted series helped commissioners fill scheduling gaps. Uh, But I think that the lack of new scripted television during that time, coupled with an abundance of sometimes questionable uh, unscripted titles, has seen consumer preference shift back to more traditional scripted fare. So although unscripted commissions are a cost effective method of padding catalogues for streamers. Ultimately, they're not consumers' favourite kind of content. So in Q3 2022, none of the top five favourite genres of streaming consumers were unscripted.
0: I remember quite well the beginning of the pandemic, the absolute hype around Tiger King. So it's interesting to see how that's changed. So um, finally, so where do you actually think this is heading? Is the recent trend possibly a more long-term thing or will that be a slightly different shift?
2: I think that there's always going to be room for unscripted entertainment. And streamers certainly aren't any less committed to titles or formats they know are popular, like Queer Eye or RuPaul. And they're still commissioning high volumes of new unscripted content. I think they're just being more discerning about which titles go on to be renewed for additional seasons. Ultimately, facing economic downturn, they need to be smarter with their spending. And instead of ordering high volumes of more and more bizarre unscripted formats, I think that it makes more sense for streamers to focus their spending on high-profile titles that will differentiate them from their competitors. And these titles are typically scripted and high-budget.
0: Great. Thanks, Olivia. Next up, we welcome back Josh. Again, um, so hopefully we've not had too many spoilers already with his earlier insights into Netflix content. So your recent work has been assessing the demographic SKUs of Sford content all the way down to a title level with a particular focus on the US. Can you give us a little bit more detail on what you've been working on?
3: What I've mainly been looking at is how to take advantage of review data that is split by demographics. A good example of this is IMDb. Reviews are split male and female, and they're also split into three age categories 18, to 29, 30, to 45, and 45 plus. So after collecting this data and weighting it to account for any sort of natural biases, it can be used to calculate an uh, age and a gender score at a title level currently i've created a score for every title present on eight major us s1 platforms so these age and gender scores give a good indication of what demographic each title skews towards and then by aggregating these scores we can look at what platforms the most skewed what genres appeal to different age groups etc so in terms of those demographic splits across the content um, which platforms in your research are the most skewed and why do you think that is so the major platforms with the largest demographic skews in their catalogue are Disney Plus, Netflix, and Amazon Prime Video. There are a couple of factors responsible for this. The first is genre composition. So if we look at the Disney Plus catalogue first, the data shows overall it skews younger and towards women. This is because they have the higher share of children and family content compared to other US S4 platforms. And these titles, the age and gender scores, indicate a younger and more female skew. Also, genres like crime and thriller, which the data shows overall skew older, are underrepresented in their catalogue. The other factor is catalogue age. Netflix and Amazon catalogue skew in opposite directions age-wise, Netflix younger and Amazon older. But despite this, their genre composition is very similar. The main notable exception is Netflix, which has... Quite a large catalog of stand up content, which the data shows does skew very young across USSFOD. But this isn't enough to explain such a wide disparity. Instead, if you look at the first release dates of content on these platforms, there's a large share of older content in the Amazon content library. Around 30% of their titles were first released before the year 2000. If you compare this to Netflix, which has less than 5%, this is quite a significant difference. And older content is going to skew older. And we can see this across the age and gender scores of the specific titles. This effect can also be seen on Paramount Plus, which also has a large share of older content, and it also skews older for the same reason.
0: Just from my understanding, so even though these titles will skew, say, younger women, there, there will also be a segment of kind of older male viewers that will watch of them. Of course, as well. every
3: show will have viewers from all demographics watching them. But what the skews indicate is the sort of disparity. A show may be incredibly popular with men, but it may be incredibly popular overall. With both men and women, and therefore won't skew than a show that's not as popular in general, but has a lot of men watching it, and almost no women will skew the most. So you get a lot of niche subgenres that have the most skew.
0: I've relatively recently joined the 30 to 45 demographic. What kind of shows would most skew towards me?
3: So, usually, this is a popular group age wise across US streaming services. Since you're sitting in the middle, it's harder to see niche categories that skew towards your demographic. But you can't go wrong with genres uh, with genres with wide appeal, like comedy or drama. We're talking shows like Cobra Kai, Ted Lasso, or maybe Succession, if you've seen any of them. Ah, oh, well, um,
0: Succession is one of my favourite TV shows, as is Ted Lasso, so clearly I'm incredibly generic. So then if, if we actually look at some of the main s platforms, so Disney+, Plus, Netflix, etc., in the US, based on your research, do you think they have the right content for their subscriber demographics?
3: If we look at Amazon... Ampere's consumer data shows their subscriber demographic is slightly older compared to other platforms and more female. So there's a bit of a mismatch compared to their male skewing catalogue, which they're not really attempting to correct. Despite this, Amazon are being proactive to appeal to age demographics. Other platforms might reach a bit better than them, like younger adults. They're doing this first by commissioning new titles to offset their older content. For example, originals such as The Rings of Power, our data shows skews younger. Um, they're also commissioning different genres. Around 20% of Amazon's released US commissions this year were comedy, a majority of which were paired with animation or drama, both combinations skew young. For a platform like Disney+, Plus, their consumer demographic and their catalogue line up, both towards women and younger viewers. Their main investments are in the Star Wars and Marvel IPs, which they're going to invest in regardless um, of their demographics, but has the added bonus of creating a more balanced catalogue. Shows like Andor, Moon Knight, uh, and She-Hulk all skew towards men. A little extra point is if a disney hulu merger does happen, their overall titles skew in opposite directions gender-wise, so they would complement each other quite nicely. Moving on to Netflix... So Talking about investment in the right places is hard to say since they commission so much content. That's 640 release titles compared to Amazon's 194 in 2022. But if we do just focus on their originals, they skew quite heavily uh, towards women. Without them, Netflix Library would actually sit middle of the road gender wise. So given that their subscriber demographic actually does skew more towards women, they've done a a good job effectively targeting their base.
0: Okay, I'm turning back to Olivia, actually. So Josh has spoken about some of the more recent shows that have landed on these various platforms. But looking forward in terms of the kind of upcoming commissions on these platforms, how are they investing in content from a demographic viewpoint moving forward?
2: So we don't have much information about target markets for upcoming shows because I think it's often difficult to pinpoint what demographic they're marketing it towards until they actually start marketing it. But what we do collect is we collect data on the gender of the protagonist or protagonists in each show. So this, whilst it's not perfect, gives us some kind of idea about target gender or at least something about representation. In terms of historic and upcoming originals, Netflix, HBO, Hulu, Amazon and Disney, so the top kind of SFODs. Globally. They're all quite balanced in the gender of the protagonists in their series. So in each case, over a third of existing and upcoming original series focus on neutral protagonists. So that's either where a storyline revolves around a group or balanced protagonists. So that's where a storyline is shared between two protagonists, one male and one female. Now, the only streamer that seems to be struggling in catering for this kind of equal target demographic is Hulu. Uh, so 65% of all upcoming series from Hulu either exclusively star a male uh, protagonist or a female protagonist. So, yeah, I think if, if streamers are aiming to cater to, you know, 100% 50-50 so that they've got really balanced demographic amongst their consumers, Hulu is probably the one that's falling behind.
0: Okay, thanks. Well, I, I know there was quite a recent Hulu slash FX show called The Old Man. I wonder if we can work out who that's targeting. Okay, so thank you to both of you for that. And that's actually all we have time for today. Thank you very much to all our guests for their time and for sharing their research with us today. So we've heard from Arena about her research into Netflix following the advent of its advertising tier and whether its pricing reflects consumer feelings. Olivia about recent commissioning trends and cancellations. And finally, Josh about the demographic skew of content on U.S. s services. So all of these reports discussed today are available on Ampere's website. So please do get in touch if you're interested in accessing any of this research. And if you haven't already done so, make sure you're subscribed to the AMP podcast as well as our weekly newsletter. And for more on Ampere's research and services, head to ampereanalysis.com or get in touch by emailing info at ampereanalysis.com. That's info at ampereanalysis.com. We hope you've enjoyed the episode and thank you very much for listening.